Excellent. <laughs> okay. So I've been talking uh, over the summer about spirit-led evangelism. Now, I'm not departing from that. I'm just... Uh, that was very much looking at things in a, in a, a conceptual level for individuals. And, but what I'd like to do with what I'm going to talk about through for the next couple of months is we mentioned in that that we need to shift some paradigms. It's a long word. Well, it's not a long word, but it's an odd word. But basically, a paradigm shift is when you've been seeing one thing one way and all of a sudden you see it from a different angle, different way, and it all makes sense, but it's completely different from the way you understood things. And we're going to be looking at some paradigm shifts that will allow us as a body to bring about the kingdom where we are. Okay? Now, the, we need to make these shifts, not just in our heads, but in the way we do things. And so, some of them might take you by surprise. Some of them you go, well, I already knew that. That's fine. But that's where I'm going. Does that... Does that Makes sense. Okay. Let me start with a story. You, some of you will have heard this story, but it's basically a, a story of three uh, specialist brick masons, you know, and they're working on a, 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 a large project, and they're there in the, the sun's beating down, and their backs are aching, and they're chiseling away and moving these big lumps of rock. And this guy comes along and, and he asks one of them, what are you doing? And this first guy says, well, it's obvious, isn't it? I'm sticking bricks together. And he goes, okay, okay, that's right. So he goes along to the, the guy that's working next to him. He says, what, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm building a wall. And he goes, right, okay, that's, that's great. And he walks a bit, along a bit further and he, and he sees a guy who's just really intent on his work and... He's got a big smile on his face and he said, what, what are you doing? Because you seem to be doing what the other guys are doing. And he said, what I'm doing is I'm building a cathedral. And the way that we look at things affects what we do. And it also affects where we end up. So... Even though they were all doing their, the same task, only one of them was enjoying it. And that's because he had his eyes on something much bigger, an ultimate goal or, or, or a purpose. And possessing that sort of vision, that, that bigger vision, allows us to see beyond the ordinary and the incomplete in our lives. Now, why do I say that? I say that because most of us, if not all of us, spend quite a considerable amount of our life, and it's ordinary. And, and when, when, we, when we lose sight that we're here for something bigger, it will only ever be ordinary and only ever be incomplete. So we want to reset our sights onto something bigger. Now, the question is, what is that bigger? And so that's the first principle. The second principle is this, that in order to aim high, 
you have to know deep down what's been entrusted to you by God. So in order to aim high and see fulfilled what you were born for, you need to know deep inside you what's been entrusted to you by God. Because when things get deep inside you, they will enable you to use the ordinary, to use the mundane, to use the incomplete towards the bigger purpose of his kingdom. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so that, that's, that's where I'm going with that. Now, in order to talk about this, um, I want to look at a passage that's really well known from Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to spend most of the morning in Matthew, so you just want to find Matthew chapter 28. And it's really well known. And this is basically the last thing Jesus says before he goes up to heaven. And this is what he says. Um, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, how many of you have heard talks preached on this, um, been done, I don't know, life groups on it or whatever? How many of you have actually looked, been taught on this passage before? I, I heard this passage all my Christian life without realising what it was saying. And I, I find it, I find it, Stunning in some ways that Jesus, um, the last thing he's saying to the disciples is not about going to heaven. It's about what they have to do, their mission on earth. So he says, I'm going to heaven, but I'm switching your perspective to what I have for you here. Because I have a purpose for you here. Now, I want you to see this because this is really important. He talks here about make disciples of all the nations. That isn't people of different races. That is make disciples of nations. And so Jesus is giving them a bigger picture. This is is your paradigm shift. He's giving them a bigger picture of what his church is meant to do. His church ultimately is meant to disciple nations. So the goal isn't to see people saved. That's part of the process, but it's not the goal. The goal isn't to be really good at discipling individuals. It's part of the process, but it's not the goal. The goal is to disciple nations. And immediately you go, well, what does that mean? Well, just hang on a minute. So, if you disciple somebody, or, or, or you make a disciple, it's not simply about learning facts. It's not school, in that sense. To become a disciple is, is to become attached to somebody and follow them in both the way they live, their conduct, and their purpose. So, you adopt their purpose and you follow it through like they do, following their conduct and the way they go about things. So when it, when it talks about discipling, that's what that means. To 
follow somebody in terms of conduct and purpose. And now, what Jesus is saying here is all power and authority has been given to him. Remember what we've been talking about in terms of the kingdom? If you've, if you've been around over the summer. And since he has all that power and authority, he's expecting us to use it to affect nations. To disciple nations. Because he's already got the authority, he's already got the power, and he's expecting us to plug into the kingdom to affect the nation in which we live. How do we make that shift? I believe the first thing we need to do to make that shift is to stop seeing ourselves as churchgoers or Christians. We need to make a shift from having a professional minister at the front of church to seeing ourselves as individuals and as a body as pastors of the community in which we live and the town in which we live and the neighbourhood in which we live. And have that attitude when we're walking around, when we're in Waitrose or Sainsbury's or Tesco or wherever we shop or when we're in, at school or university or at work, that we are the pastors of where we are. So we, we go to it with a pastor heart. And I, I think it's really interesting that Jesus entrusted this whole idea of what we would call, I don't know, ministers, ministers of the gospel, you know, the, the disciples, those who were there that he's talking to. I find it really interesting that he entrusted that not to professional religious people. He entrusted it basically to, um, what would we say, Businessmen, government employees, ordinary people, tax collectors. I mean, like, it's like, like being an estate agent today, isn't it? Nobody likes them. Yeah. Um, people, but also a people who were so insular that they didn't like other races. You know, they, 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 they saw themselves as set apart. And Jesus, had to, Jesus takes a group of people, ordinary people, born into that culture and says, hey guys, you're going to change the world. That's a pretty big shift that they had to make, much bigger than the one I'm going to ask you to make. Do, do, you, do, you, do you see? And what's he doing? He, he's telling them, if you go back to my story, it's not my story, but the, the story of the cathedral. He's telling them that this cathedral is buildable. You can do it. And... Why can you do it? Because he's saying there is a superior reality called the kingdom where I've got all authority and all power. And this superior reality is capable of changing the current reality that you're living in. If you, if you will live from that place rather than the mundane and the ordinary. And when I was looking at this, when I was reading this, I realised that for years my picture had been too small. You know, what one of the words spoken over us when we started as a church was that we would affect the heart and mind of Cambridge to affect the heart and mind of a nation. Now, we haven't seen that yet, but I believe we will. But much more than that, I realise, start to realise that that doesn't focus down to us getting a few bright students or a few intelligent people or reaching a few businessmen or having loads of people at revival conferences, or anything like that, 
what it comes down to is that every believer is given this purpose of affecting a neighbourhood, a city, a region. So I believe for faith life that we're not just destined to affect a part of Cambridge. We, our goal, our purpose is affecting the whole of the region. And then when we get there, we'll see where we go beyond. Now, why, why is this possible? Because that, I, I, I don't know anywhere that's happening, in, in, certainly in Western Europe. Um, why is it possible? Why does Jesus think it's possible and we're going, can't believe it. Jesus thinks it's possible, if you go back to those verses, because he says, I am with you all the time. I'm with you. So if all authority and all power is mine, if you look at the way your life is panning out and your interactions and relationships through the lens of that, this is possible. Our job as believers is to find out in every situation of our lives how to bring heaven to earth into that situation. So our job is to how to bring heaven to earth into that situation. I'm not going to go over that again because I've talked about that for four or five weeks, but we are gatekeepers of the kingdom. And our purpose is to apply the kingdom to wherever we are at any time. And to seek wisdom from heaven and uh, answers from heaven as to what to do and how to do it and what to say. That's how a small group of people could change the civilised world because <laughs> they weren't running off their wisdom. They were running off heavenly wisdom. So the first thing why Jesus believes it's possible is because he's with them. The second thing is that Jesus is saying <coughs> your goal is not numbers. Your goal is changing the culture and the numbers follow. But the goal is culture change. Now, we, we haven't thought like that as churches. But nevertheless, that's what Jesus is saying. Look at this. Let's go back to those verses. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. Now, when you read that, I, when I was reading it, I've already made the switch back to teaching people in a, like a setting of a seminar or a rock solid or a life group or whatever. And my, your natural tendency is to go back and think of that through the lens that we've experienced in, in the churches that we've been part of and in our Christian walk but also, you know, how we've been brought up. When you realise he's talking about nations, how do you teach a nation? Now, let's, let's get clear what that word teaching them means. The word teaching them in, in the, the original language is to assimilate. Who's a Star Trek fan? It's nothing to do with the Borg. Okay, you're not going to get all assimilated into a single mind. 
but it's to um, bring about something in such a way that it's understood and becomes a norm of behaviour. So Jesus is saying, I want you to affect the behaviour of nations. Now that, that's a big enough goal for everybody, isn't it? I want you to affect the behaviour of nations. And, and then again we get this question, well, how do you baptise a nation in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit? And, and we usually, we'll quote that for water baptism and all the rest of it. You have to go back and say, well, what, what does baptise mean? The word that's used there means to make fully wet. In other words, Jesus is saying that the kingdom and your effects should be so pervasive that not only um, uh, is, is the culture of that nation become part of the kingdom, so it, it's in the kingdom, but also that the kingdom is right through the nation. It's died. Baptismo is, is a word that they used to use for dyeing cloth. And they used to put it in the bucket and the, 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 the cloth would be in the dye and the dye would be in the cloth. And that's what he's saying. I, I want it so that the kingdom is both, the nation is both in the kingdom, but the kingdom pervades everything about it. Now, when you say, well, you, you start looking at that, you go, well, how's that possible? Well, that's what I asked. Anybody else asking that question yet? <laughs> how's that possible? Well, all authority on earth and in heaven is given to me. But it's a bit simpler than that. Nations are getting baptised and, and discipled all the time. Think about it. Think about the effect that Marx and Lenin had on Russia and the whole Soviet state. They were discipled into that kingdom, the kingdom of communism. Think of the, the continuing effect that the the discipling of Mao has on China. Right now, nations are being discipled by radical Muslims. It's not a new concept and it's not impossible and it's happening all the time. Now, right now, this nation is being discipled by schools, education system, government, social media, normal media, everything. We are being discipled right now. So it's not something that's way out there. It's something that's actually happening. It's just that we aren't doing it. Somebody else is doing it. Somebody else is discipling our kids. Somebody else is discipling our students. And we're not. Now, I want you to understand this because it would be so easy at this point to make the leap that, that many of us do and have done, including me, which is therefore we, we need to find out, look at all the things that aren't of God in our culture and oppose it and campaign against it. Quite frankly, that hasn't worked. We've been doing that for decades. And it's actually made the situation in this nation, worse for Christians, not better. Because we've hemmed ourselves in. 
You see, the kingdom isn't bad news and it isn't judgment on the culture around us. It's an overwhelming of the culture with the good news of the kingdom. We, we are good news. The gospel is good news. So we have a positive message. We have a positive message about relationships. We have a positive message about hope. We have a positive message about families. We have a positive message about how to raise kids. We have a positive message of how to get out of depression. We have a positive message that nobody else has about how to heal the sick, deliver those who are in bondage. We have answers. But they're good news, not bad news. So we need to make a shift from opposing things, criticising things and judging things to being the kingdom and bringing good news. Because it's so sad that, that we have managed to get ourselves in a position where Christians are seen as fundamental, judgmental bigots. Why? Because that's what we have become. The world isn't, it's not lying, that's what it's seeing. And we have to get ourselves in a place where we are good news. Okay. Where am I going with this? So how do you start doing that? How, how are we going to start doing that? How does faith life start doing that? Well, firstly, it's this. Um, and I, I'm going to try and say this as gently as I can. We, we have to stop being spectators. And we have to start seeing beyond the walls of a church that exists on a Sunday morning. We, the, the, this is where I'm going. The, the paradigm shift we need to see is Sunday mornings are important, but they are not the measure of the kingdom in our lives. The measure of the kingdom in our lives is what we do all the other hours of the week. And until, until we can make that change in our thinking and see that actually we're the pastors of the place where we are and that we're meant to affect that place with the good news of the kingdom and the wisdom of the kingdom and the knowledge of the kingdom, we won't have any impact. You see, when we look at what Jesus says, what he's telling us is that we're empowered to disciple nations. And if we'll try, we'll have some success. Now, the nature of that is that that won't be immediate. We'll have little victories, we'll have little bits of success and we'll celebrate it, but there's a whole culture shift that needs to take place, so we're going to get some kickbacks on the way. But what Jesus is communicating is this is your destiny. This is what I believe my church is for. And even though we'll get setbacks, he's saying you're heading in the di right direction and you'll win. Ultimately, you'll win because the kingdom is a superior reality to the world's reality. So not to get knocked by setbacks, you know, I think we, we could have, as a, as a body, uh, have seen a whole lot more than we've seen over the last three or four years. I, I think we, we've taken, we took several setbacks. But from the early part of this year onwards, I believe that there's, there's a change 
where we are starting to realise our destiny and our purpose as a body and, and carriers of the kingdom, a supernatural kingdom. Now, let, let's, let's go back to this question of what does that mean for church? Now, what you need to understand before I say any of this, if you go to Matthew chapter 16, is in no way am I knocking church. I believe in the church as, as it is. Uh, but some people might hear in this that I'm knocking church. I'm not. Can I make it clearer than that? I'm not. Okay. Let's have a look at this. Again, a passage that I talked about recently. Uh, Peter recognises that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the, the Christ, the one who's going to change history, the one who's going to save everybody. And, he say, and, and in response to that, this is what Jesus says to Peter. I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock... Now, that can be either Peter himself, because the name Peter is a translation of Cephas, which means rock, but it also means on the revelation that you understand about me. Because Peter, that's what I designed you for, to have this revelation, and you've got it. So on, on, that, on who you are and what you've seen and what's been revealed to you, and this realisation that I'm the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades, the world as we see it, the culture around us, won't prevail. Why? Because I'm going to give you the keys of the way the kingdom operates. And whatever you bind on earth will have all, shall have been bound in heaven. In other words, anything that's not allowed in heaven, you can bring it to earth. And anything that's loosed in heaven, you can loose it here. So I'm giving you the keys of my kingdom. And that's how we affect cultural change. We bring wisdom from heaven. We bring authority from heaven. We bring knowledge from heaven. We bring strategies from heaven. We bring supernatural miracles from heaven. And that's how we affect things. Now, go back to that word. On this rock, I will build my church. One of the worst things we ever did in the King James Version was translate this word church. Because by that time, church already looked like an old, damp building that needed roof repairs. And, and we, we got the church. Now, because we're enlightened, we, we, our response to it is to say, okay, well, church isn't the building, it's the people in it. Now, that's true to an extent. Who, who knows that, that church isn't about the building, it's the people in it? Okay, some people will then ditch the building. No, the building is a tool. You know, some churches need buildings to do what they're doing. You don't, you don't, you don't throw out the strategy that God's given because you misread what it's saying. Honestly, guys, how effective do you think open-air meetings would be in the UK? Now, I know you might be a bit like gung-ho because of the last couple of months we've had, but come next month, how many of you think that open-air meetings would be a great idea in the UK? No. So we're not knocking the building, but we want to see beyond the building. And so... I forgot where I was going now. That word translated church there is ecclesia. Now, when Jesus said that, 
So that's where we get all these ecclesiastical and we start, you know, the paradigm shift clicks in. Well, the original paradigm and I can just envisage Mark with a dog collar and a nightie and swinging incense. And that's ecclesiastical. No, that's where we get that jargon from. But the word ecclesia, when Jesus said it, he's referring to something that everybody in the known world would have known what he meant. Because the ecclesia existed, it just wasn't Jesus's. And Jesus is saying, I'm setting up a counterculture that's going to take the culture that's currently managed from the ecclesia. The ecclesia is a Greek concept. They had an ecclesia in Athens. And that's the way the whole Greek democratic system was managed. And they met in buildings and they met on an open hill. It was a body of people. And they were the people who governed the Greek Empire. And basically, they took people from right across society, and these people made decisions about warfare, deployment of troops, deployment of resources, uh, the elected magistrates, they wrote laws, and all the rest of it. Um, some of you may know it a bit better when, as by a different word, Paul actually goes and debates with them in Athens. And it, it's what, the word is the Areopagus or Areopagus, or however you pronounce it. That's the Ecclesia. And so it's a group of people gathering together who have been called out for a specific purpose, called out of the, the, the mass of society for a specific purpose. That's what Ecclesia is. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to have one of them. A group of people called my Ecclesia, who were called out from the mass of humanity for a specific purpose, which is to change humanity and bring the kingdom. And they, because I've got all authority and all power, it's going to operate like those guys in Athens do. And you're going to be able to bring heaven to earth and change the law, change the systems, change the way people think, and affect the culture. Now, this is millions of miles away from that picture we've had of church. And that's why we need to make a leap. And that's why I'm going to take more than one week on this. But the basic thing is this, that church is really ecclesia. So that getting together isn't enough. It's about purpose, not the getting together. Now, we, we want to be a real family who support each other and are there for each other. But it is a family that gathers round a purpose which is to see the culture around us affected. Do, do you get that? It's, it's about being family and it's about having a purpose as a family. The problem was, how did we lose this? The problem was that the, the, the church, after the first 300 years, when it took the world by storm, got comfortable. Now, that's sometimes people will turn around and say, well, that's when they went into buildings. Well, it is in part, but they were already in buildings, they were in houses, and they were meeting in the synagogues, and, and they were listening to the disciples teaching at the main synagogue, and they were already using buildings all over the place. All they did is adopt some of the buildings in the Roman Empire. So it's a bit of a red herring, that one. But the church did get comfortable. Once it got approved and was no longer persecuted, it got comfortable. And we've never recovered. We still think the world should come to us. Because it did. 
but he doesn't anymore because we forgot what we're here for. And we're now in a, in a culture that has shifted away from those Christian roots and we have to revert back to our original purpose as the Ecclesia, which is to bring the kingdom. Yeah. Are you still with me? Yeah. I know these are big things and I know it's a hot morning, but this is, this is going somewhere. So, this is an author that I, I first came across this concept of, of Ecclesia from. He, he sort of put me on it and looking at it. And he said this about when the church got comfortable. It's quote, once the church was comfortable, uh, what began as unexplainable, as in it changed the world, became institutional. Before long, the church became less movement and more establishment. We, we, we spend a lot of time these days trying to grow the organisation, don't we? Instead of being the movement. Hundreds of years later, the church still struggles with its identity and purpose. Say the word church and few think of a movement. We're meant to be a movement, not an organisation or an institution. Now, that word institution, that sets off all sorts of things for me. I mean, from when I, you know, like when I used to visit my nan in hospital when I was a kid and it's sort of like disinfected corridors and those plastic high back chairs, the minute you sit in them, your shirt is drenched and you stick to it and, and the whole thing's horrible, isn't it? It's a mixture of disinfectant and other foul smells, pretending to be clean. That's what I think of an institution. And then then my, my, my mind goes mad and I, I start thinking of people who believe the Henry VIII and the Queen or Jesus and they're all locked up somewhere. That's an institution. But it has some, sense, some semblance about that because actually we've got in a position now where the, the world doesn't see us as having any relevance to them. And so what we try and do is be like them to attract them. And, and it's not meant to work like that. You see, movement to me has life about it. It has... Uh, progress, it has authority, it has energy, it has life. And that, that's, that's what we're aiming for in this idea of what the church is meant to be, the ecclesia is meant to be. Because it's about going out to wherever we are, so leaving this place, and wherever we are, seeing ourselves as people who are carrying the kingdom into that place and seeking God's wisdom and God's words and God's knowledge and God's understanding in order to affect and basically make people's lives around us better. Bless them. Love them. Change their lives. Change the businesses that they work in. Change the, 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 the decisions they make. Change the strategies that they're using. That was the big build-up. That was obviously the most important point. Okay, so let, let, me, let me get to, to the end of this because I, I want to do a couple more things before we finish this morning. The, the Romans adopted this idea of Ecclesia. And basically, the way they governed their empire is that they gave authority to any members of this Ecclesia that they had. And basically, where there was two members of their Ecclesia who met at any place, they were the government, just by virtue of being members of the Ecclesia. So they could be in some foreign country and they were capable of making decisions and authorised to make decisions and implement them wherever they were. 
where two or three are gathered in one place, there am I in the midst of them. That's Jesus' ecclesia. We carry that authority. That's how it works. Are you getting this? So our purpose is to be on mission 24-7 to bring the kingdom to earth, to bring heaven to earth. That's, that's, that's building the cathedral instead of sticking the bricks together. And, and we've, there's a body, and there's a church in, in, the, in the Western world, we've got used to sticking the bricks together and building the institution. Whereas he's calling us to affect the culture and build the kingdom. So how do we do this? Why, why is this relevant to this place where God had us? Because I was, God had me thinking about this long before this building ever came on the horizon. And, and I looked at here and, and, and where we were in the Old Purse building, because when I was actually thinking about this, we were back in the Old Purse building because there was a flood here. And I was thinking, well, how do you do this from here? And I couldn't get my head around it. Because where we were was a place that people travelled to. So you came looking for faith life rather than the kingdom coming looking for you. <coughs> How did Jesus do it? Let's see what he said. This is, this is Jesus' big technique. And... Um, Neil and I have talked about this in several different contexts, but it, it's basically called start with the lowest, smallest viable option. You start with something small and get it bigger. Is that, is that a biblical technique? Absolutely. Let me show you. Acts 1 verse 8. You receive power... Power of the kingdom, power of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be the witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. <coughs> Start small, get bigger. When the Holy Spirit fell, they hung around in Jerusalem, changing Jerusalem for seven years before they got scattered and affected any other region. They didn't go to Judea, they didn't go to Samaria, and they didn't go to the ends of the world. They started where they were with the community that they were in. And they moved from smaller to larger, from simple to more complex. I believe that's what's in front of us. I believe that if we go for this building and it, and it all works, I believe we've got, we've got a whole area we can affect. And, and that gives us the ability to think like that. Now, what happened when these guys followed that of focusing on the place that they were? This is what happened. Acts 5. They forbid them to talk about Jesus because they had filled the entirety of Jerusalem with their teaching. They did it. And then they went to Judea, and then they went to Samaria, and Paul spread the gospel all the way over to Spain, and Thomas took it down into India, and they took it all over the place, and people came to England, and barbarians as we were, and changed us. But they started by transforming 
a neighborhood, an area. So the shift I need you to make is to stop thinking that you go to church. And I need you to think you are the church and we go to the world. Yeah? 